Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to stimulate thought, expand consciousness, and encourage community. I say encourage community because I believe that the vast majority of we humans are friendly, tribal animals. And when we live in small enough communities in which we know each person by name, or at minimum by face, we are collaborative and we sustain everyone in our community. If you'll tune in again next week, I'm going to go into some detail about what I mean by expanding consciousness and encouraging community and stimulating thought. But for this week, we're going to move on. Today, as part of our groundbreaking series, we're going to have Sheriff Matt Kendall who's the sheriff of Mendocino County, and we're going to have former Governor Jerry Brown. So stay tuned for this really interesting and exciting interview with these two esteemed gentlemen. First, a bit of an apology. You know, I sent out an announcement about uh, today's program, and I quoted uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger because he put out a video recently uh, that some of you uh, may have seen uh, about the uh, insurgency in uh, in Washington, D.C. And uh, I'm going to read uh, actually something for, that one of our, uh, our listeners wrote me. I'll re- read a little bit about it. But first, I want to say that the reason I quoted Schwarzenegger is because he made a historical uh, reference, which was to Kristallnacht in the 1930s, I think it was 38 in, 19, in Germany. Kristallnacht, Kristallnacht means... Breaking glass, crystal knock, knocked as as night, and uh, and crystal is the glass. So it was the night of. They called it the night of the bro- broken glass. Hitler's men went on a rampage, uh, killing Jews, breaking their windows. They he they broke the windows of their shops all over, and it was the beginning of the uh, Holocaust of the of the pogrom that went on. And Schwarzenegger said that that uh, being from actually he's from Austria or Germany, depends on how you see it and and what year he was born. Uh, Some of the readers, our listeners wrote it and said, you know, you said he was from uh, from Germany and he's really from Austria. So, uh, and that's accurate. Um, In any event, he referenced that night and he said, you know, his father was a Nazi. He acknowledged that, uh, for which he is not proud. And he said what he saw on the television of what went on in, on January 6th in Washington reminded him of Kristallnacht in Germany, and I referenced it. Uh, but pleased to know that uh, I'm not touting uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, I was no fan of his, uh, not so much for, his, uh, for what he did politically, that's a whole separate issue, but I also, as a psychologist, believe that leaders, how they live their lives, send a model to the citizens of what life should be like. And I really wasn't terribly uh, happy with uh, how what Arnold Schwarzenegger gave to us. When he got elected, one of the first things he did was show off his expensive wristwatch collection. Uh, and he traveled around, as you well know, in a cavalcade with limousines and motorcycles. And, uh, and I don't think that sends a good message I happen to be much more of a fan of the guest we're going to have on today, former Governor Jerry Brown, who drove around in a motor pool car 
and uh, and lived very modestly. I'm not even sure that uh, Governor Brown even lived in the governor's mansion. He might have spared us that expense and lived in a modest apartment. He can uh, tell you about it when he's on. So please know that that's where I'm at. Also, that whole business with Schwarzenegger and uh, copulating with his employee and having a baby and dishonoring his family was a very poor model to me of how a leader should be. But that said, he did take a strong position uh, with regard to the insurgents in, um, uh, on, on January 6th in Washington, D.C. But listen, listen to what one of, of our, uh, our wonderful readers has to say about that. Schwarzenegger's gob seems like an act of joining and an even sophisticated in a certain way. Uh, He's inciting those people that he says he's not. And why is that? Because he pulls out a sword. It's a phallic empowerment symbol. The object comes right out of video games that color many of these young men's fantasies as indigenous white nationalists attempt to overcome their lack of efficacy. Uh, and he says, by raising a sword, no, she says, by raising a sword and claiming that war and insurrections only make democracy stronger, Schwarzenegger holds the power to fuel the violence of the ultra-right, including future white nationalists. So you can see, whether you agree with her or not, that people see what the leader looks like and what the leader, how they present themselves as being as much of the message of what their words are. She's commenting that on the fact that he's his uniform, that he's not shaven, that he's pulling out a sword and so on, that that could be seen as inciting rather than unifying. And, and that's an important, an important message to us all. So on to uh, uh, our topic today, which is going to be about the insurgency uh, on January 6th. Uh, by way of historical introduction, there have been a lot of rebellions throughout all of history. The list is so long that if I read it to you, it would take up the entire program. I'm not talking about just Shays Rebellion in the United States or the Whiskey Rebellion in the United States uh, that, that you all are familiar with and we, and we all are familiar with. But, you know, go, going back in time here, we have in 1678, there was something called Bacon's Rebellion, where a man named Bacon attacked uh, neighboring native tribes before uh, driving the governor, William Berkeley, from the capital of Jamestown, and he burned the city. This rebellion was suppressed by reinforcements that came all the way from England. Uh, uh, Some time later, there was the war called the War of Regulation. Then, of course, our American Revolution. Uh, We won it, so we don't see ourselves as insurgents, but it really was a rebellion against the greatest country in the world at the time, England. And it was after our rebellion that we had Shays Rebellion and the Whiskey Rebellion against our own people. And then there were rebellions in the, in the 19th century, Fry's Rebellion, the State of Muskie Rebellion, Nat Tainer's famous slave rebellion, maybe if you, many of you know about, where, where rebel slaves killed about 65 people before they were all massacred. Uh, in 1842, there was a slave revolt in the Cherokee Nation. Uh, John Brown's raid is a very famous raid. Many, many of you know about John, the famous abolitionist, John Brown, who, uh, who tried to initiate a slave revolt. He was put down. And then 
the American Civil War. What was that if not an insurrection when the southern states individually declared their secession from the United States and they attacked with cannon? And we go on and on. In 1863, there was an insurrection in Manhattan. Uh, Let's see, I'll move on quickly here. I'm going to skip so many of them. Uh, Well, some people consider the the Red Power movement at at Wounded Knee uh, an insurrection. You remember that, the radicalization of of, of Native, Native Americans. There was an Attica prison rebellion that many of you uh, are familiar with. When the prison was was taken over, Attica prison was taken over until Governor Rockefeller uh, uh, sent in troops and on and on. Going back in history, probably the greatest uh, slave rebellion of all time was Spartacus, who for two years... Uh, a former gladiator, challenged uh, the entire Roman Empire. And he, for, until he was uh, taken over by Roman legions, um, he was a very successful, uh, you could say very successful until he wasn't, until he wasn't leader, uh, insurrectionist. So the history of the world is a history of rebellions. That's not in any way not in the slightest, to justify the terrible massacre of five people that occurred in January 6th in our country, or to justify the horrendous scenes and what these people did. But it's to put in historical perspective that there have been those who use violence as a way of expressing themselves throughout all of history, and that we need to know that We need to be aware of that, and we need to be prepared for that. It not, not in any way am I advising that we become cynics, pessimists, depressed people. We can be enthusiastic, excited, and I hope optimistic, but at the same time, we need to be realistic about who we are, and what we are, we cannot live with our heads in the sand or turned away. Now, today, our first guest, Sheriff Matt Kendall, is a man who cannot live with his head in the sand. Why? Because he is dealing with stark reality as the elected sheriff, in his case appointed so far, uh, sheriff of Mendocino County. He is dealing with the stark reality of who we are daily. He was born and raised in Mendocino County. Sheriff Matt has a 30-year career in local law enforcement. Last year, the Board of Supervisors of Mendocino County unanimously agreed to appoint him to serve the remaining three years of our greatly esteemed retired Sheriff Tom Allman who had a long history as a sheriff of uh, Mendocino County. And Tom Allman was perhaps one of the most well-liked and respected sheriff in the history of Mendocino County. I know him well. I've talked to him recently. And if he's listening, Tom, uh, my well wishes to you. I know you're dealing with some health issues. And I wish you a very speedy, speedy recovery, which 
I feel confident you're going to make. Sheriff Matt was first hired by Mendocino County in 1990. It was actually, he'll tell me if I'm accurate on this, around his 21st birthday, and he worked at the county jail. And he has since worked on the Mendocino Coast and in Covalo as a deputy sheriff. He's been in investigations department, narcotics department. He was a patrol sergeant, an under sheriff before coming to uh, as sheriff. And as he will tell you, his family has been in Mendocino County for a long time. And, and, the, and the reason that's important to me, before I, I now bring him on, the reason it's important to me that, that Sheriff Matt has been around so long is because he's one of us. He's a neighbor. He's, he's a person here. He is not some bureaucrat administrator from a distance or who comes in, uh, you know, to tell us uh, what to do and who we are uh, from uh, having read about us or heard about us. He knows us through and through. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, Sheriff Matt Kendall. Thank you, Dr. Miller. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you. Uh, in terms of my introduction, did I get it right? Is there anything you want to add? No, no, I think you pretty much covered it. <laughs> <laughs> How long has your family been in Mendocino County, Sheriff Matt? Well, um, I am a sixth generation here. My daughter, who just turned 18 last month, she's seventh generation Kendall's in Mendocino County. Um, my uh, ancestors wound up uh, sailing around uh, the Horn of South America and coming out to Mendocino County in the 1800s, uh, where they settled where Boonville is now. It was actually Kendall City back then. That's what they called it. Uh, Boonville Hotel was built by my father's great-grandfather, and it's still standing. And it's still standing. I've been there. Well, it's a, it's a fortunate thing for us to have you as our sheriff, seventh generation, something that's something that we all benefit from. So here you are as sheriff, and you're dealing at the very same time with two monumental, historic events. You're dealing with a pandemic and now with, with an insurrection in Washington, we want to spend a little time on the pandemic. We want to get your views on the insurgency and how it might affect Mendocino County. First, on the pandemic. What can you tell us about the programs going on in Mendocino County to protect the roughly 87,000 people in this county? Well, one of the most important things is, is the masking um, campaign that uh, you and a lot of other folks in the uh, public have been helping us do, as well as the social distancing campaign. Now, talking about that, I think that this pandemic is going to change the way that we do things for quite some time. Um, our younger people seem to be grasping this better than than folks my age. In, in, the, in the same fashion that my daughter has never gotten into a car without putting on a seatbelt, I have to be reminded at times because I didn't grow up with them. Um, these young people are much more adept at taking their mask with them, wearing their masks, um, the hand sanitizer, the social distancing. I just think that they're a little bit better at it because their minds are a little more pliable at this age and they can learn things a little faster than a, than an old dog like me trying to learn new tricks is. Um, my wife has a great big basket right by the front door that's full of clean masks and, uh, 
you know, I have to, when I come home and I, I take my pocket change and my, and my handkerchief out of my pants, I said it right there because I know that that will prompt me to make sure that I grab proper PPE before I leave the house in the morning. Um, we have a lot of different pushes on that uh, regarding enforcement of the masking orders and various other things. Um, I have so few deputies that at times we have one deputy sheriff for 600 square miles in Mendocino County. Say that again, please, for our listeners. At one deputy. One deputy sheriff for about 600 square miles in Mendocino County. Um, just Mendocino County has grown almost 70 percent in the last in my lifetime. Um, we we went from uh, from 50,000 people in 1969 1970 to uh, well over almost to 90,000 people now, um, and my patrol numbers have not changed since my birth, um, and so. A lot of times we have very few people on them. We're trying to do more with less. Um, there have been a lot of pushes about should the sheriff's office take on 100% of the enforcement on this, and I simply don't have the manpower to do it. Uh, personnel is a tough thing for us. Um, and, you know, I've I, I received phone calls and letters about what we can and cannot enforce. And uh, some of this... I understand uh, is just public education more than anything else. The one thing that we get the most mileage out of in Mendocino County, it's education of the public to be able to take care of themselves with us assisting. If I had to, well, the fires last year, I think that's a very good, uh, um, we, after the 2017 fires, the Board of Supervisors began working with fire safe councils throughout Mendocino County to provide education, and they gave them some funding to put things together. Um, one of my biggest fears was the evacuation of the Brook Trails Township just north of Willits. And uh, it went off without a hitch because those fire safe councils had gotten people ready to go. They knew what their roles were, and that evacuation was the smoothest evacuation that I've ever seen in my career. And it was because we had helped people prepare themselves for that moment in time and everyone knew what to do. It was not chaos. Um, and so I think that we as a government have to empower our people to take care of themselves and to work together. Um, and we're going to be there to assist. But when I only have two deputies for 50% of the county, it's a little tough to go door to door and, and uh, have it be a new and exciting and novel idea to evacuate when people are already trained and they understand um, really, truly uh, they're carrying the, the load and, and we're helping with road closures and signage and things like that. Sheriff Matt, correct me if I'm mistaken here, but my understanding of government is that the, the critical issues for government are law enforcement fire, hospitals, and sewage, that those four things are, are, are very high priority. Uh, is it fair to say that if any supervisors in Mendocino County are listening to this, Ted Williams and Dan Jurdy might be, or they'll get wind of it, you, you need a bigger budget. Uh, that's my takeaway from this. You need more manpower if you're going to do the job you want to do to take care of the public in Mendocino County. Is that correct? Yeah, but, uh, you know, it's one of these things where I can't ask Mendocino County to carry 100% of the burden on that. And supervisors, 
Williams, hashtag Gertie. They're all I understand. I understand you're not asking for it, but it's my takeaway that that's a, that 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 would be helpful in terms of protecting. Okay, so the masking and social distancing, fine. It's it's moving along, uh, and you're you're an advocate of that. Uh, I don't know what if you have anything to say about um, about vaccinations and, and the rollout of vaccinations and how you feel about it. If you want to make a comment, because I want to move on. We've got about 10 minutes and I want to move on to the insurgency and the rioting. Well, I, I we're moving that vaccination model along, um, getting through the tiers right now. I know that our supervisors have been working very closely with public health, trying to get trying to grease the skids so that we make sure that we get everything taken care of and nobody gets forgotten on that. I think that we have to take a good hard look at um, the groups that are being affected the most by it. Um, and we need to work with these groups to make sure that we get them vaccinated. We, we don't want to have uh, anybody left behind on it, especially when it's, you know, a problem in one area, a problem in another area. If, if they're having the problems, we need to get the vaccinations there so that those problems will stop. Do you have any idea how many vaccinations have come into Mendocino County so far? I had a, I had a briefing on it uh, last week, but I'm certain that it's changed by today. Uh, but it's, would you say it's less than 10,000? Yes. It's less than 10,000. I'm going to share my concern with you on that. My daughter lives in Haines, Alaska. It's a city of uh, less than 2,000 people. They've already received uh, enough uh, vaccinations so that 50%, they've received close to 1,000 vaccinations, 50% of their population in Haines, Alaska have been vaccinated. Now, here's the key to this. In order to get to Haines, Alaska, you have to go by boat or airplane, by boat or airplane, and they've already received a 1,000 uh, vaccinations, 50% of their population. And I would like those who are listening in our county government to know that, the, that we are getting dribbles for uh, almost 90,000 people, and that doesn't seem like uh, appropriate apportionment from my perspective. So uh, somebody needs to get on the stick and, uh, and, and do some shouting and screaming because the, the, I've been worried about this right from the get-go in terms of whether Mendocino County will get get our uh, proper allotment of it. Let's move on to uh, uh, what happened in January 6th. I'm sure you've seen many of the videos, uh, have you, of uh, what happened in uh, Washington? I've only seen a couple of short clips. Um, and to be honest with you, it turned my stomach. It, it reminded me in the 1980s and 90s of what it looked like to have a U.S. embassy overrun in, in a foreign country. That's right. That's right. Did you see the uh, the uh, the scaffold with the noose on it uh, out in front of the Capitol? Well, I did. I saw it, a video of the, scap- of the scaffold and the noose. And at the same time, I heard people screaming, uh, hang Pence, uh, you know, the, to the, the vice president of the United States. Uh, you want to make any comments about how that was handled? Uh, or you want to move on to uh, what, what you're seeing here, if anything, in Mendocino County and what you might be expecting uh, on, a, on the uh, day of the inauguration? Well, I think that Mendocino County historically has uh, shown that we do it better than the rest of the nation. Uh, that's something that I'm very, very proud of. And I think that uh, a lot of things that we're seeing uh, right now are because leaders are not leading. And leaders, we have to, th- this is not a problem it wasn't caused by the Democrats. It wasn't caused by the Republicans. It was caused by us. Anybody who votes in someone who refuses to speak across the aisle, 
um, and, and use every piece of information to the advantage of the American public, then we've shot ourselves in the foot. We can't do that anymore. I have a lot of people in my personal and professional life that don't have the same views that I do, but they're all very important to me um, because I have to listen to them. They come up with wonderful ideas. Uh, myself and uh, the public defender from Mendocino County, who's a very good man. We go have coffee now and then, um, not just because uh, we're friends, but because he provides me with insight, his thoughts. Um, it gives me different perspectives and points of view. Um, and I think right now <clears throat> we have to look at who we're electing and make sure that we are serving the public. It's not the other way around. And I hate to say it, but so many people have decided to go down party lines instead of thinking about the person who's serving them. Now is not the time for it. There's a reason why local government is nonpartisan. It's because we are the boots on the ground. We are the ones who have to get these things done on a daily basis. And if you know your neighbors, you're going to treat them better. If everybody that I run into, I always have this feeling that, uh, Sometime in the next couple of days, I'm going to run into them in the Safeway uh, parking lot while I'm picking up groceries on the way home. And if you remember that you're going to see these people again, there is not a clinical detachment. We have to realize that, you know, when someone makes a phone call to me, they're, they're going to get a phone call back. Um, if we aren't staying connected with the public, then it's just like anything else. Um, I, I, Raise children. If you don't listen to your children, they eventually get louder and louder and louder. And next thing you know, they're screaming. But if you deal with the problems when they're small, then they won't grow into big problems. And that's one of the biggest problems we're seeing in California right now is that things are not being dealt with when they're small. Um, it's just a, I, I like to remind my deputies, we deal with arguments before they become fistfights. We deal with fistfights before they become homicides. And if you can't see the logic in that, then they don't belong working here. Yeah. And speaking of homicides, you did mention to me right before the program that we had a homicide in Mendocino County, and it's a tragic event. And I just want to mention it out loud because you, you shared with me that it, it was a brother uh, killing a brother. Yes. Uh, one of the most terrible possible things uh, imaginable. And in fact, it's biblical, isn't it? It's very biblical. Um, Last thing, a question, and then we're going to move on to uh, Governor Jerry Brown. Um, what is your take on the fact that there were approximately 30 law enforcement people in the Capitol who were there to protect against a crowd that looked like it was in the thousands? What does that mean for, uh, from a law enforcement perspective? That means there wasn't proper planning. Um, and we have seen a lot of different things over the years. We had the, when I first began, we had the Redwood summer protests and we had a, a lot of deputies who were out there. The old Lieutenant who eventually became sheriff would sit us down for a briefing before we went out into the woods to deal with the protest. And he would remind us, you know, there are good people on both sides of these lines, treat them all like they're good people. And I remember he said to me one day, Hey, you've got a cousin who's a logger, but you've also got a hat who's, she's kind of a hippie gal. And so you know, you, you've got to remember that these are our people. It doesn't matter which side of the line they're on. 
And that stuck with me. Um, I remembered it. Uh, well, I remember it to this day. And that was- I remember it as well. I was here, Sheriff Matt. And But the major difference between that event, which was a wonderful event, and what's going on now, is that when the loggers and the hippies came into clash conflict, they never, ever hit each other. Yeah. Right. They never hit each other. They talked, they shouted, they screamed, and then they, but they never touched one another. And then, as you well know, they went on to become friends. Oh, yeah. And there's a, there was a merging. But in this particular case, we're looking at extreme violence. And I'm wondering from law enforcement, what is, how is it possible that with all the chatter that went on on the internet about we're going to be there on January 6th, and how is it possible when you hear the president of the United States say, let's go to the Capitol, I am with you and I'm going down there with you, that they couldn't even at that last moment after they've heard the president say to this crowd, let's go to the Capitol, they couldn't com- quickly rush in a few hundred men. What does that say to you? I have no idea what happened there. And wow. it's, you know, just like anything else, if it would have been happening here, you know, I think that we would have headed it off at the pass and... Uh, we would have had personnel and, and whatnot in place, and we would have begun a dialogue to stop this argument before it became a fistfight and stop that fight before it became multiple homicides. That's why the people of Mendocino County are so fortunate to have you as sheriff, sir, because you believe in dialogue and you believe in talking to, to everyone. And you know that it's our neighborhood. It's not ours and theirs. Yes, Exactly. Thank you very much for participating in Mind, Body, Health, and Politics today, Sheriff Matt. I've got uh, Governor Jerry Brown uh, now to introduce. If you'd like to stay on, you're most welcome. Thank you. I think I will. Governor, it's absolutely wonderful to see you. Nice to see you. It's been a while, I think. Yeah, Yeah, it's been a long time. I haven't been to Whitethorn in uh, uh, 16 years. I went there on my honeymoon. In 2005, and stayed at a little house that Sheldon Wolin, who was one of my professors, had out there in the out there in the woods. Well, I was uh, I was up in Whitethorn and Wales Gulch uh, just a few weeks ago, but I've been in Covalo quite a bit lately. My, yeah. my father, he's still hanging in there, and uh, you know he's going to be 86 years old this year. But um, I spend quite a bit of time with him still. Well, it's a very beautiful part of California. And as I like to say, uh, people can spend a good part of their lives just exploring Northern California. And there's so much there that most Californians haven't seen, although they've gone to Italy and Rome and uh, all the, uh, you know, Japan and all these other places. But I think there's a lot, even just in Mendocino County, not to mention Humboldt and Siskiyou and all these other places. So there's a lot of interesting uh, places and there's a lot of connection uh, to our earlier history. Yes, is really important. For those of you just tuning in to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, the voice that I imagine is familiar to many of you, if not all of you, that you hear talking to Sheriff Matt Kendall is the voice of Governor Jerry Brown. Governor Jerry Brown, uh, as you may recall, I hope you do, is a major historic figure both in California and in the United States. Why is he a historic figure? Well, for many reasons, the most of which is he served two terms, four years and four years, and then he served another two terms, four years and four years, 
And he has served as governor of California. And you can see here that I'm saying it with enthusiasm in my voice because I feel so honored to to have him on our program. 16 years as governor of California, in addition to having been attorney general, in addition to having been mayor of uh, uh, California, and also setting uh, uh, national records in terms of his contribution and his civic service. Uh, So welcome uh, a hearty welcome, uh, Governor Brown. Well, thank you. Good to be here. And uh, well, here for me is West Calusa County, uh, not too far from the Mendocino National Forest um, in the hills here, where my uh, grandmother grew up, uh, being born here in uh, 1878. So I think that's uh, being governor 16 years is uh, one thing, but also being able to uh, live on the very land where you're forebears first came, that's something else very, very important. Was it 1878 that your folks came to the mountain house, uh, Governor Brown? This mountain house. So they lived a few year, a few miles down the road, something called the 20 mile house. Um, th- this is all measured in relationship to the Sacramento river. And we're, we're West. Uh, there's Calusa, the little city, then there's Williams. And then you come another, uh, almost 14 miles further west, and that's where we are. And then if you go down the road about eight miles, there's uh, a little a town that was called Leesville that's no longer a town, and there was a Leesville Hotel uh, that uh, is now uh, being lived in by uh, family and friends of ours, uh, Slim and Christy Edwards. How far are they from you? But- well, it probably takes 25 minutes going up Leesville grade. I think mile-wise, maybe it's seven miles. Seven miles. It's blacktop now, though, isn't it, between you and... Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. But yeah. it's very curvy. And um, it's, uh, it's... Well, it's a very beautiful road. And a certain number of uh, people on bikes that traverse it. Not very many. Probably less than a dozen in a year. Uh, <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm laughing about- because my, my beautiful wife, Jolie, and I have uh, have done that, uh, that trike ride between... Uh, your house and Slim and Christie's, and it is a fantastic ride. Uh, we do it on recumbent trikes. And then, by the way, for those of you interested, further down the road from uh, first uh, Governor Brown's house uh, on the Walnut Grade, I believe it is, and then to Slim and Christie's, you go further about uh, maybe 12, 13 miles to Wilbur Hot Springs, which opened in 1865. So that's our introduction. Governor Brown, have you seen the yeah. videos of, uh, of January 6th at the Capitol? Well, I don't have a television, so I've seen a very brief clip that uh, is you can pick up on one of the uh, newspapers like the Times or the Post. I do get uh, newspapers via the internet. Uh, so no, I, I don't watch too much. I, I read a fair amount of news, but I'm not sitting here watching uh, videos. But you've seen uh, pictures, or uh, you you certainly are are, are quite... Oh, yeah, I saw some of the pictures. I do. I do. But, you know, I have to tell you, uh, I've just... uh, I got a bunch of uh, wildflower, uh, native wildflower seed, and I planted that after uh, softening up the land here, the ground in front of my house. And I find that watching the, uh, the seeds come up and turn into plants is pretty remarkable, and for me, uh, more interesting than the craziness going on in D.C. Not to say that isn't important, uh, but I think um, since I can't affect that the same way that I can actually affect uh, restoring uh, native vegetation to this land, 
my interest lies more local, although I certainly uh, am following the transmission, the transition uh, from Trump to Biden. And I do think uh, that we're in a very extraordinary time. Uh, the division in America is profound. Uh, it's uh, certainly here in Calusa County. It's uh, throughout the whole country. There's two uh, separate belief systems, very divergent, and it will uh, require quite a lot of imagination on the part of the new president to navigate, uh, to get through uh, without either failing or creating uh, a deeper divide. Uh, that's really the, the, the challenge here because we're not talking so much about facts. Uh, we're talking uh, that millions, tens of millions of people believe one thing and tens of millions of people believe the exact opposite. And uh, many of these people are living fairly close to one another. So uh, I get the idea of, of uh, shouting and fist fights and then shooting. So uh, we, we, America and the new president has his hands full. Then if we get our own act together, we got a world where the Chinese see it one way with their communist party, uh, Putin sees it another way and on and on it goes. Uh, we're, we are, we've always been in a dangerous world. Um, that's the way it is. Uh, but it just strikes me that this is a time where we might see uh, more, uh, more uh, uh, events that we're not going to like. So I don't want to be a downer, uh, but I do think on this very beautiful day where the sun is shining and I watch the sun come up, it comes up rather late, about 724, uh, that um, the beauty of where we live uh, is somewhat counteracted by the danger in which we also live. Well, you may, in the background, hear uh, my chickens uh, on our little chicken farm here in Fort Bragg, and the magic of having these beautiful little birds uh, drop out things that we call eggs that my wife and I and our neighbors are able to eat is as wondrous uh, to us as you're watching that seed come out of the ground. So I certainly share that experience with you. At the same time, uh, I'm also aware, or at least I'm told, that uh, the, the sitting president uh, had 60 opportunities in courts around the United States to, um, to argue his case that there was election fraud uh, and that he really won the election. And I'm told that in 59 of those cases, uh, including a preponderance of judges that he himself appointed, he lost. And to the, it, given that situation, that his lawyers exhausted all of their resources to, uh, to argue against the election, how does it happen that such a large number of people still believe that he won the election? How, how do those people ignore these 60 court cases around the country that were presided upon by Republican uh, Trump uh, appointees? Where, where does their information that they believe so strongly in an antithetical way uh, to the other side, how do, how do they get there, Governor Brown? Well, uh, first of all, we want to take beliefs. Uh, we all have different beliefs. And I, uh, you're going to think this is a little bit off point, but I'm going to bring it back to your question. How could the Trump, Trump and his people believe that the election, that they won? And evidently there are millions of people, tens of millions, who believe Donald Trump won, even though there's no evidence of that. 
there are utterances by Trump and uh, thousands of people that he won. Uh, but I think, the, no, I don't think I know. The, the evidence is absolutely overwhelming uh, that um, the instance of irregularity were absolutely trivial. And you can't run an election without a few mishaps, a uh, few votes going awry one way or the other. We're talking infinitesimal. There is no chance whatsoever that um, Trump uh, got more votes uh, than Biden. That, that's the fact. But that is not what millions of people believe. Now, I just have to stand back a little bit and re reference belief. You think what you see is out there, but what we see is in our own eyes. And our eyes reflect light and uh, uh, different, uh, different colors and uh, impulses. Our ears pick up sounds, but we reframe that in our own minds according to our prejudice, according to our belief, according to our conditioning. And uh, this is called identity. And people, we hear a lot about he or she identifies as. Well, we, we all inevitably have to identify as something. And that identity uh, will shape our belief. Now, I'm just thinking that here where my grandmother was born, had, she had a number of brothers, five brothers. Uh, two of those brothers went off, went off to World War I. And they went off there and they were fighting Germans who they believed they should be killing. And the Germans uh, believe they're supposed to be killing the Americans and the English and the French. And I find it very paradoxical, a very odd. Here we are out in the remotest of country, uh, and these people were able to get on trains and ships and go over there and kill people because of what they believed. And if you look back, back at 20, 1914, uh, we'd say, you know, we, Germany wasn't all that bad. We should have been able to work it out, but we didn't, and millions of people died. Well, here we are today going down uh, a road that's different, but it's about belief. And millions, 74 million um, voted for Trump, I'd say probably 40 or 50 million uh, believed he won. If at the very least, there's 25 or 30 million who believed Trump won the election. So they're going to be pretty outraged. And that's not uh, something to take lightly because millions of Germans believe they won World War I when they didn't. And the explanation was that there was a stab in the back and Jewish people and cosmopolitan people and communist people and socialists, they took, snatched um, defeat uh, from the jaws of victory. And out of that uh, original sin, as it were, Hitler emerged and said, we're gonna restore uh, the greatness of Germany. So we're not, I'm not, I don't wanna compare completely to that, but we are in a, in a, in a world here where falsehood is the basis of millions of deep emotion, deep emotion. And that, how we unwind that, that, uh, that I can't tell you, but you asked me the question, why? And I say identity, we, we believe, uh, we believe in, you know, if you asked me uh, 70 years ago, um, why did you believe in hell? I'll say, well, I, they told me about hell. I never saw hell, but that's what the nuns told me. That's what I heard growing up. Everybody else believed in hell. Well, today I don't believe in hell. Uh, so different identity, I guess. But there are a lot of people who believe in Trump. And there are a lot of people who believe the election was stolen. So uh, uh, fasten your seatbelt. It could be a very rocky four years.
Well, and doctor, if I could chime in for just a minute, we have to remember that people's perceptions will be their realities. And a big portion of my job is really truly to provide enough education to change some perceptions. Um, there's a, a portion of the population who do not want their perceptions changed, but when they're handed facts, you know, it, it's, it's their choice at that point. Yeah, well, we got a lot to, even something like, how do you manage the forest? And you got different points of people saying we got to clear more of it, more burning. Other people want to leave the old logs to rot out there, even if they're a fire danger. So even something as, as basic as how to manage the forest, there are very, very strong feelings. And uh, to, I think, a significant degree, California has been paralyzed in how it manages uh, its, its natural lands here. Let's see if we can take what you two are saying and apply it to a real-life situation uh, here in Mendocino County. We have approximately 90,000 people, as stated by our Sheriff, Matt Kendall. A significant percentage of that population, I am told, and I'd like to hear from you on this, Sheriff Matt, um, are what might be called either anti-maskers, mask resistors, or mask decliners. I'm told that that number is somewhere between 20 and 25 percent. If that's accurate, in a county of uh, of uh, of 90,000 people, uh, we're talking about um, a significant. We're talking about 30,000, 20, 30,000 people who do not wish to cooperate with masking efforts. First of all, do those numbers make sense to you, Sheriff Matt? Um. I'd say roughly, I think it's about 15 to 20%. So we're probably talking 15,000. Okay. So out of 90,000 people, we've got 15,000. So it isn't as dramatic as what Governor Jerry is saying about the United States, which is we're talking 50 million. Well, actually 50 million out of uh, 330 million is, is, is almost proportionate. What, but the fact is, uh, uh, correct me if you think I'm mistaken here, 15,000 out of 90,000 who declined to cooperate in a pandemic is extremely serious. Is it extremely serious to have that number? I, I believe so, but we're seeing that number declining every single day. Um, and a lot of it is just because the social norm is changing. I don't want to be in a grocery store next to someone who's not wearing a mask and therefore, and I'm not treating them like they have the plague, but I am giving them a good 12 to 15 foot swath away from me. And that's what the way it was in the beginning. But I'm very rarely running into anyone in the public without a mask. Anymore. So what you're saying is the, the, the 15%, remember 15% of 330 million is roughly 50 million. Yeah. And that's about the number that Governor Brown threw out that that uh, that it could be strong believers that, uh, that that it was a fraudulent election or that they uh, that Trump really won. So you're saying that the 15 percent in Mendocino County who are uh, less than cooperative with regard to masking are being swayed to a certain extent by sociocultural norms. Governor Brown, can we sway the 50 million with sociocultural norms? What do you think it might take? To, to, to ease their tension, to, to decrease 
their animosity and their vitriol for having something stolen from them so that we don't get into the situation you describe, which I think you describe very accurately of what happened in Europe, where Hitler came in to say, you were right, you lost something, you were stolen, and I'm going to bring it back to you, because that's what we'll be facing here uh, from someone like a Ted Cruz or someone, unless we have some way of swaying these 50 million people. Well, I think the 50, many of the, these people <clears throat> are seeing a world that's changing right out in front of them. It's a world very different. It's a world, I can tell you that, looking at life in my uh, 82nd year uh, is very different than it was my 16th year. Uh, things are really different. And when people look at uh, even uh, simple things like, uh, okay, now we're, uh, instead of talking about George Washington, uh, when he cut down the cherry tree, I could never tell a lie. So that's what I learned as a young kid. Now we're finding, well, no, Washington was a slave owner. And uh, even uh, the name of a school, like Washington, must be changed now, as, there, as a group uh, is saying in San Francisco. And the same is true of Lincoln, same is true of Roosevelt, same is true of uh, Feinstein Middle School. Uh, and then you look at uh, the changes in gender norms, uh, the emergence of, of uh, people, immigrants, which has always been a trouble. We had the know-nothings before the Civil War. People were very anti-Catholic, uh, anti-Semitic. And then more recently, the early part of the 1900s, we had anti-Italian, Polish. Uh, look, anytime you get the different, the alien, the foreign, uh, it can create anxiety. So it's a matter of... of uh, transitioning, evolving in a way. Um, this is life. Life, you know, there's disruptive changes. So uh, what does it take? It takes time. It, it takes uh, uh, perhaps a softening uh, of these edges because the, the people who, who want, uh, want to see the change, uh, they're moving uh, very, very fast relative to what uh, traditional people think. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, living in Calusa County, where 57% uh, of the people voted for Trump, um, the world looks different than it did when I was mayor of Oakland. Uh, these are different identities. So how do the, how do the Oaklanders um, learn to live with the Calusans? One of the ways they learn is they don't uh, contact each other. They're separated. Uh, well, that can't be done for everybody. So I think, uh, I think it's going to take Biden uh, I don't know how you do it, because if Biden reaches too much to the middle, uh, his uh, more activist groups on the left are going to get very uh, disappointed. They're going to attack him as a sellout and, and all that. On the other hand, if he doesn't do enough to bring in uh, the, the Trump kind of people, uh, then, then we're going to create this division. So the answer is, I don't know. And I don't know if it can be done. Some of the stuff uh, is really not... Uh, available to our to our understanding as yet. How deep is the divide in America? Uh, it doesn't seem uh, that we're in the German situation because they lost the war. They had uh, horrible depression. They had horrible inflation. Uh, there was a lot of humiliation. We seem to be in a much more benign environment. Nevertheless, these divisions are very sharp. And whether Biden can succeed or not uh, remains to be seen. Remember, uh, Trump got elected uh, as a guy starting denying that uh, Obama was, was born in America. There was no proof for that. And yet millions of people believed 
in that birther movement. So uh, we're in a different kind of world here. Now, uh, how I think, I don't think it should be, I, up to, do I know? Answer is I do not know. So if I'm telling you something, I think it's really more I hope. And uh, that's not worth too much. Hope doesn't <laughs> Well, I love I your brutal. Say, I think we got to live with the idea that we're in uncertain times and we're going to act as thoughtfully, as, uh, as empathetically, and as rationally as we can. But I, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't be too complacent. I think we're in a very, uh, we are in a dangerous era, and that may just reflect the fact that I'm getting uh, close to the end of my own here, uh, and therefore I have a more ominous sense of reality than I did when I was 16. So uh, I don't want to uh, transfer my, my sense of, of, of my being in the 80s uh, with where America is in its particular trajectory. But I, I do have uh, real concerns that we're in a very dangerous era. That's, uh, I would say that. I must say, you have my utmost respect and actual love for your uh, transparency and and brutal honesty uh, in in, in relating your age and where you are developmentally to how it might be coloring your views. That's a wonderful thing to hear uh, from anyone, sir. I want to now ask you both something with regard to a question that's before the American people. Should Trump be prosecuted for inciting well, we have him clearly on television saying on with a huge screen, uh, I saw the screen and I heard him say, I'm going down to the Capitol with you. Uh, let's go down and let's show strength. And we have him on television uh, after five people were killed, uh, after there was a scaffold in front of the Capitol and they were screaming, hang Pence. We have him on television telling that same mob, uh, I love you. We love you. We love you. He said it. And so the question that's before us, it's going to be before Biden. It's going to be before a lot of the prosecutors in New York and before the prosecutors in Georgia, uh, because he uh, attempted to uh, to uh, strong arm, as you well know, the uh, uh, the the, poli- the the leader in, in uh, of the elections in Georgia into changing the vote. Do you believe each of you, you, Matt, from law enforcement Governor Brown, for you, for former governor of, of state of California, for the overall good of the nation, what, should he be prosecuted and show the world that we do not countenance, even from a president, the inciting and the, an, an actual murder? Or do we let it pass as a way of attempting to unify the country and say, bygones be bygones, we must move ahead not backwards. Well, Your opinions. Let me, let me interject my thought here. First of all, when, when you're talking about some incitement, uh, this is never an easy case to prove in, in a court of law. Uh, we already do have a case. It's called impeachment. Uh, the indictment, uh, which is made by the House of Representatives, has already been made. At some point, uh, that'll, be trans- that'll be transmitted to the Senate. Now, that's a proceeding uh, that does not depend on the criminal law, but depends on on the good uh, judgment and conscience uh, of the Senate. Uh, I do think that the biggest uh, offense of President Trump is the constant lying. The, the, this is something, I mentioned George Washington, where we were taught you couldn't even tell a lie about cutting down a cherry tree. Now we got a president of massive, repeated lies from the day he lied about the number of people who attended his inauguration to now lying about the election repeatedly. 
and then talking to those uh, legislators from the states, talking to the Secretary of State in Georgia, uh, just compounding it. But this is all before the august body called the United States Senate. Uh, now, if the Republicans hold tight and it's only like 53 Democrats, that's not going to convince anybody. But if McConnell uh, brings along uh, the Republicans and they sit there and they really evaluate it, I think we definitely have a case uh, for uh, the impeachment uh, by the Senate. Uh, but in order to have it, we've never had an impeachment uh, w go through all the way to, uh, to, to vote. I mean, we've had it. But in the case of Andrew Johnson, they didn't uh, impeach. So uh, if he's acquitted, that's not very helpful. So I, I think uh, it all rests with McConnell, uh, can, not Biden. Can McConnell uh, bring about 17 votes? Uh, if they listen to the evidence, do they conscientiously believe that this is a case for impeachment? If they do, uh, they can also attach uh, the further condition that they can't run for office. But if without a lot of Republicans, uh, you're not going to erode the fervent belief of these tens of millions of people. So my, now what? that's the impeachment. So we'll see what happens there. You're what my recommendation is. About the, uh, uh, the law enforcement, uh, the, that is, uh, that's a question of sifting the evidence. Uh, I'm sure you could make it. I suppose you have enough evidence for indictment. Then you go to a jury. Uh, whether that's prudent or not, uh, I'm not going to try to uh, think that through on this on this Zoom call, uh, I do think it's not, it's not completely, it's not evident to me. I would want to have a lot of thought uh, of that. By the way, it's not going to be up to Biden. It's going to be up to the prosecutors in, in Georgia or, or New York, what have you. And it may well be that a prosecution uh, would be, should be there. I don't want to minimize that. Uh, I just think that it's not something given to just off the top of your head opinion. This is something that, that, uh, really ought to be thought through very carefully. Uh, and I'm not prepared to, to offer that careful thought at this particular uh, show. Before I ask uh, uh, Sheriff Matt to weigh in on this, uh, Governor Brown, uh, as speaking as a lawyer, which you are, uh, is there a civil class action suit uh, uh, against Trump uh, for the damages, uh, physical damages to the Capitol and for the deaths of those five people? Uh, is that a, a civil suit well, I can't, of merit? I, I, look, I'm not, I really can't tell you. Uh, what, what is the connection between the speech and the intervening individuals uh, doing what they did in the Capitol? Uh, that, those are the things, you know, this is causation in the, in the, in the law and uh, in the law of tort. Where will it all go? Uh, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm not... Uh, giving you a, a firm answer, but I think it, you know, he's yelling, get down there, uh, show your strength, do stuff. I mean, there's certainly a reasonable person. Uh, the real test is could a reasonable person uh, infer that that would lead uh, to violence uh, or to property disruption? And I think you got a good case there. But again, I would, I would defer that to people whose job it is to really sift the evidence very carefully uh, and do that. And we have not only what, what is required or what is possible in the criminal law, we have this other problem of how do we pull this country together? That's and, right. Uh, and I recommend the thought of a very thoughtful impeachment trial where evidence is put on and those senators act not like partisans, uh, but as real senators for America. 
and just weigh that evidence, put that on television and think about it and then come to some judgment that whether or not you can actually come to a conclusion. It may well be no matter whether there's an impeachment or not, whether there's a criminal uh, prosecution and conviction or not. America may just be totally divided. And I would have to say that is the big concern going forward. How is America going to uh, evolve over the next five to 10 years? Well, in terms of the message to those 50 million Trump believers, if the Republican senators were to weigh the evidence and vote for impeachment, it would be a way of saying to those people that you have been misled by this man who we are now voting against for the very first time. See, Uh, that... uh, If... If it's even possible anymore, yeah. you see, we have a system, we have a, our way of government assumes that uh, people can deliberate on facts, uh, advanced reasoned arguments and come to a conclusion by a majority. <laughs> Is that possible? Can people actually present facts, not on Twitter, not on, on Zoom, but actually in, a, in the, this chamber, the, the Senate chamber, and really listen, and people be convinced that they're listening and making a fair judgment. Is that even possible, or are we now consigned to a nation of believers? Some believe X, some believe non-X. Thus it shall be evermore. I would hope that we could re-establish and uh, uh, present to the American people an actual exercise in democratic discourse. That would be uh, amazing and would be, uh, I think, quite important uh, to our country moving forward in a positive way. Well, I would love that as well. I don't know it's, whether it's because I'm a, of the same age you are, and that's uh, affecting my point of view, although I think I've had this for a long time, which is there was a famous study by uh, Kelly uh, Kelovich and White, a leading uh, a, a firm of uh, uh, psychological pollsters that uh, uh, indicated that something between 53 and 58 percent of the American public fully believed that when they died, there would be people uh, playing harps uh, <laughs> waiting for them. Uh, and, uh, and that always uh, struck me as, uh, as a very important piece of information, uh, because um, I have serious questions whether if there is such a place as heaven, they'll actually have a, uh, a wind, uh, I mean, a string instrument uh, group. Uh, are welcoming us with harps. Uh, Sheriff Matt, do you want to uh, weigh in on this uh, question about prosecution? Excuse me, Jeff. I I have an interview at 10 o'clock with KQED, so I'm going to have to drop off pretty quick. Okay. Uh, Well, it is 10 o'clock, so let me uh, thank you. Let me thank you hugely. Uh, for coming on the show. Uh, you've mentioned uh, uh, in the past that you'd, uh, you'd come on from time to time and, and share your views. And I, I hope you will. I know you'll follow through on that. It's been a, it's been a privilege to have you again. Uh, you, know, you know my favorite story about you. It's the, it's the car that you drove from the motor pool. And for that, you have the, my greatest respect. Well, <laughs> I, I hope, Sheriff, you can... Uh, add or illuminate this particular problem with the president going forward, because I think I've exhausted uh, my thoughts on the topic. I'm only too glad to withdraw now and turn the time over to you. Thank you, Governor Brown. It was really good to see you.
Good to see you. So, Richard, here's my thoughts on it. I believe exactly what the governor is saying uh, regarding this, but I think it's going to take everybody taking that little B or that little R behind their name and putting it in their hip pocket and making a decision as a human being and a person who's going to serve this country, not a political party and not themselves. And, you know, I often get caught up in this question of my circle of concern versus my circle of influence. My circle of concern is worldwide, but my circle of influence is here in Mendocino County. And my duty is to make sure that I have good conversations with everyone living here to make sure that the needs are met. And I think that uh, Governor Brown has a, a very good view on it, um, but are we going to come together as good humans and not based on uh, partisanship, not based on our political parties, and say this is the right thing to do. And until such time that that can happen, um, this divide will continue to grow. When good people will sit down and have good conversations and say, I'm here to serve others, not myself. And let's face it, all of us run into people who don't have the same political views as us, but they're still good, important people. Um, important for me in a lot of different ways. I, I get to hear what they're saying and, and make decisions for the future based on it. And it's not just, you know, one group or another, it has to be all of them. Um, we've all got to work together. Right now, we're at a time where everyone wants to talk about how different we are. And nobody's talking about how similar we are. If we take it back to the amino acids, I mean, all of us pretty much want the same thing. We want it to raise good families, to have a, a healthy life, to, you know, make it to the end of the day and, and, and take care of the folks around us. 99 people out of 100 wake up every day wanting to do the right thing. And uh, I, I, I think that we're going to see, uh, we're going to see decisions coming out of the, uh, the impeachment process. Um, and hopefully that will share enough information to the American public that, they can make good, informed decisions for themselves as well. Sheriff Matt, I share with you the notion that we can think globally, but we have to act locally. Absolutely. And I, and I, and I love what, what uh, Governor Brown said about watching the seeds grow, uh, just as I enjoy uh, sharing with everybody how much I enjoy my chickens laying eggs. It's about our neighborhood and our community. And what the listeners are hearing from our esteemed sheriff of Mendocino County is that we are a community that can have differences and we can share them verbally and we can respect one another for our differences and still remember to share our eggs and share our meat and share our bread. And we can still remember to sit down when we can after the pandemic or now outdoors at eight feet away and and uh, and share and have a tip uh, together, and 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 uh, and Sheriff Matt, I'm sure, uh, being a seventh generation now with your daughter, Indonesian, uh, 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 that you are proud of the fact that as different as we has have ever been in Mendocino County, and you gave a great example, the loggers and the hippies, as different as we have ever been, we have a long history of verbal differences and we do not have a history of physical violent differences and that is critical it is isn't that critical isn't Absolutely that critical? critical isn't the difference between my shouting in your face 
and my poking you in the chest with my finger a critical difference, sir? Tell me, from law enforcement, am I allowed to poke you in your chest? Absolutely not. But we can have good, robust arguments all day long and still walk away friends. Um, We don't have enough resources to go around in Mendocino County. And therefore, we rely on each other uh, in a fashion that we don't see elsewhere in the nation. And, you know, I've got people on completely different sides of the aisle than me who are my friends, um, who I truly consider to be good friends. And uh, we don't share all the same views. But when we look at them, most of them, we actually do. Um, we all want the same things. We, we have a different roadmap for getting there at times, but we have to listen to each other and we have to work together. And if our leaders aren't willing to sit down and, and, and do what they are paid to do, then we better find some new leaders. So let me send this message out to that roughly 15% of people in Mendocino County who don't agree with the, uh, the, with the masking mandate. Let me say respectfully that we request that you cooperate with this, even though you may not agree with it, because in this case, it's a health issue. And from a health perspective, if you are correct that the masks aren't necessary, then we have unnecessarily worn masks. But how bad is that? Who, who dies from unnecessarily wearing a mask? Who goes to the hospital from unnecessarily ma- wearing a mask? But if it turns out the other side is accurate, then who dies if you don't wear a mask? We do. And who goes to the hospital if you don't wear a mask? We do. So strictly from a risk-reward perspective, it's safer for you to be willing to join us in this endeavor for just the number of months left until we're all vaccinated so that we can protect everyone in our neighborhood. I implore you for that. And we will love you for that. And we will respect you for that. And we will understand that you're doing something that you don't necessarily agree with, but you're doing it for the benefit of the good of the entire community. And if you do that, you will earn the thanks of Sheriff Matt Kendall and myself and everyone else in the community. You agree with that, Sheriff Matt? Absolutely. And let's not think about ourselves. Uh, let's think about the person who's standing behind us in line. Um, maybe, maybe the pandemic won't affect you personally, but we, you know, like, like you mentioned before, we are creatures, we're herd animals. We, we need this contact with each other. Yes. Let's do it as safely as what we can. And even though you may be, 26 years old and perfectly healthy and, and would not fall into, uh, you know, one of the people who would have problems with it. Think about your grandmother. Think about the people who are standing behind you in line. Um, if you can do that for them, that's just us carrying the water for our species. Thank you. Now, we're going to end with one last question having to do with the uh, inauguration day, Sheriff Matt. Do you feel the need to do anything to protect the capital? of the of the uh, of the uh, county of Mendocino in Ukiah. Well, we, we have extra people working all the time right now. Um, we've actually gone to 24 hour patrols throughout the entire county as before we just had, uh, you know, 21 hour patrols in, in certain areas. And uh, we're paying attention to everything that comes down the line from the FBI and from uh, a lot of Homeland Security, things like that. We're paying attention to that. 
Currently, we aren't seeing anything about Mendocino County. Almost all of it deals with the uh, state capitol and things like that. I know that they are beefing up uh, police presence and patrols over there as well. So um, it's one of these things where if it happens tomorrow, it's not a problem if we were ready for it yesterday. And so we will be ready for anything that comes down the pipe. Um, but we haven't heard of anything that will be. Okay. So just for your listeners to know, Sheriff Matt is ready, but we have not heard anything. And it looks as though we're going to maintain our perfect record of being kind to one another in our county here in Mendocino County. And we wish the same for all the counties in the United States. We certainly do because we're all part of one country, country many of us are still very proud of because we did something in the history of the world that was quite remarkable when we rebelled against a king and God. You have to remember that when we went against a king, we, we went against God because the kings believed that they were appointed by divine right, and they held that over the subjects, that if you rebel against me, God will be against you. And our founders were God-fearing people for the most part, not all of them, some were atheists like Jefferson and Franklin, but for the most part, they were. They were Christian men, and they didn't want to do that, but they did. And so now we are not subjects. We are citizens, and we're proud of it, and we're going to stay that way. Thank you, Sheriff Matt Kendall, for joining me today. I look forward to you joining me again in the future so we'll have updates from your position as a leader in our county. And thank you all for joining me for today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and politics, and special thanks to my producer, Charlie Deist, who makes this broadcast possible. Uh, the preceding program, Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, was brought to you by Thanksgiving Coffee. The founder of Thanksgiving Coffee, Paul Katzif, a personal friend of mine, is a social worker and political activist who has improved the lives of literally millions of coffee growers around the world literally millions of coffee growers. You want to know how he's improved their lives? He's gotten some of the money that is made worldwide in selling coffee to the actual people who do the growing. He has traveled the world to help them. And for that, he has all of our utmost respect. Paul so much appreciates Mind, Body, Health, and Politics that he created three special Mind, Body, Health, and Politics coffee blends. Yeah, he donates 20%, 20% of all internet sales of these Mind, Body, Health, and Politics special blends to the COVID Response Network. Check it out on Google, COVID Response Network, a nonprofit 501c3 whose mission, whose sole mission is to protect California's North Coast community from COVID. Go to the Thanksgiving Coffee Company website, and buy your coffee, buy Mind, Body, Health, and Politics coffee. Support this program and support the COVID Response Network. Please do it now. Friends, join me next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for our next stimulating broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. It will be after the inauguration of Biden. We're going to have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about. Until then... This is Dr. Richard Lewis Miller reminding you that good health is worth fighting for, and I believe it's essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm-hmm.